This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on CityCast Houston, the number of suspended HPD cases has now hit 264,000. What does this mean for the future of trust with the police? Plus, a new report lays out just how many billion-dollar weather disasters have hit our area. And is Houston ready to be the hub for space innovation once again? Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and Houston Chronicle taco columnist Marco Torres join me to recap the news from the week. And by the way, this episode is brought to you by Tacovas, sellers of the best cowboy boots and western apparel that honors the true spirit of the rodeo. And after this interview, I'll have your final Tacovas tip of the day. It's Friday, March 1st. I'm Rihil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. It's the final day of our rodeo week, so I'm starting with a rodeo question. Marco, Evan, good morning. I'm going right into it. Marco, what is your favorite rodeo tradition or tip that you have for us? I mean, the tradition is definitely going and getting a, a corn dog during the cook-off. You know, it's fun to go into the tents and get some good to okay to great barbecue, but there's something about eating that just fried corn dog and putting that lemonade next to you uh, in your body that's... It's so unhealthy, but it's so good. It's so good. Now, I, I'm pretty sure I saw that you posted on Instagram that somebody was cooking a shark at the rodeo. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my friend, uh, Chef Danny, he was in the Visit Houston uh, booth. And uh, on the first day, I think he did a, a, a pretty traditional uh, trompo. Uh, he's Mexican. And then uh, the next day when I got there, he had got a, a baby shark. Oh my and he God. took all the meat out of there and then he grilled it. It was something. Okay. I, I can't say what everybody else thought about it, but I thought it was interesting. People were taking photos. It was amazing. Yeah, I was like, what is this? Yeah. What did and it taste like? And the next day, they did, a, they did an alligator. So, alligator there's cool seen. things over there. Yeah, 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 alligator you'll see at LSU tailgates all the time. Yeah. What did shark taste like? It kind of tastes like uh, what you think is going to taste like very fishy. It's almost like marlin or swordfish, okay. uh, which aren't my favorite fish varieties, but... Got to try something, you know? Hey, absolutely. Evan, how about you? What is your rodeo tradition or tip you have for us? Oh, man, my tradition is to complain. I don't want to spend this money <laughs> on the games, the parking so bad. Like, I'm really good at that. Uh, but honestly, last year, we went uh, inside to where all the animals are, and my son saw the tractors, and he just wanted to sit okay. on the giant tractor. And I want to make that our tradition. I want to just go and sit on the tractors. I love that. That is the best part. NRG Center is so much fun because I have so many different things to look at. It's a blast. Go check it out. And it's going to start getting packed. So start going a little bit earlier because spring break is coming up. I'm just telling everybody, look, it's there's no <laughs> way around it. So get there while you can. Hey, let's start off with our biggest news. Marco, kick us off. So the Smokehouse Creek fire in the Texas Panhandle. Um, when I mentioned it the other day, it was like 500,000 uh, acres. Now it's up to 1.1 million acres wow. up near Amarillo, north of Amarillo, and into uh, Oklahoma. So I first saw this from my friend um, Julio Cortez, who's an AP photographer for um, Texas and Oklahoma. 
and he was uh, posted some photos on his Instagram about charred remains of homes and vehicles and whole sides of the of the highway just you know gone and um it's pretty interesting i haven't really heard too many people talking about it but that it's now the largest destructive wildfire in texas history wow which is pretty amazing yeah i don't think people understand just how much land is up there and just how destructive these fires can be so oh it's crazy it is crazy and it's been kind of dry and then the wind has been picking up like 50 miles an hour so it's just it's hard to contain. They contain one part of it, and the rest of it just keeps going. Uh, I mean, something of that magnitude. Texas is huge, so there's a lot of room for that fire to go. So hopefully there'll be not too many losses of life or losses of property, but it's it's pretty bad up there. All right, Evan, let's get to your biggest story. My biggest story, and I know you guys talked about this a little bit earlier this week, but it is blown up that Houston Police Department has been suspending thousands upon thousands of criminal investigations due to lack of manpower. They've said is more than 250,000 cases, misdemeanors and felonies weren't investigated and officers would use a code indicating, well, they couldn't investigate this because they didn't have the manpower to do it. And this is incredible, not just because it is all these cases that weren't investigated and investigating and solving crimes is the one most important things that police officers do, but because the police chief said that he never signed off on this practice and told employees to stop using this manpower code years ago. But what the Chronicle has found is that these closures were written to the department's official policies as recently as December of last year. Now, I saw Police Chief Finner talk about this at a convening at the Greater Houston Partnership this week at a public safety convening hosted by Arnold Ventures, where I work, and the Council on Criminal Justice, and he had a few things to say. First, not all these investigations are just standalone investigations. Sometimes they're repeats. Sometimes they can't be investigated because there's really a, not a lot of evidence to go off of, but that still officers need to use accurate coding for that and not just say we don't have the manpower. But all of this really raises, I think, three big questions. First of all, what are police doing with their time? We have a billion dollar budget, you know, on a per capita basis. We don't have as many cops as, say, New York City or Chicago, but we have the same as or more than other Sunbelt cities. So what is going on over there? Secondly, on the flip side, do we need more officers? Is this really a sign that we need to fill out our ranks a whole lot more? And, you know, at that event I was at, you had researchers saying the evidence is pretty clear. More cops equals lower crime. So maybe Whitmire has said that he wants to bring on more cops. This could be a reason to do it. But finally, what else is it that we can be doing to empower our cops to do their most important duty of solving these crimes? Other states have had civilians go out and respond to traffic crashes rather than just having cops do that. Are there desk jobs we can bring in civilians to do? And what is going on with the constables, sheriff's deputies, and all of the other police departments out there? So I just think this is the sort of thing that really needs to wake up the city. Yeah, that was going to be my point is how are we using the resources of the other departments, right? The constables, the sheriffs, as you mentioned, what are those looking like? Because obviously HPD needs help, right? Like this is unacceptable. As you mentioned, we talked about the sexual assault cases that already is heartbreaking. Now you see that this number has jumped over 260,000 and it just you're just like, what are we doing here? Right? Like, how are we all not responding to this? What can we do? And it's just heartbreaking. Obviously, it's not just, you know, um, Deputy uh, Finner. He inherited a lot of this stuff from previous uh, police chiefs. And um, the department was not in a good place for the last five to 10 years. So 
it's not all on him. And unfortunately, a lot of it is being, you know, he has to be the spokesperson for everything. It's so frustrating because not just crime on the street, you know, family crimes, sexual crimes, people are trying to cope with all these things that have happened to their family and there's no resolution. And then you find out things have been, you know, kicked out. So it's just, I can only think that it's so frustrating for a family to trying to get through these uh, hardships. So Yeah. And let's talk about the trust that the community has with the officers now, right? Like you, you see a story like this and you just go, what's the point? Like, why would I even call HPD? Right? Because they're not going to do yeah. anything about it. So it, it makes victims feel helpless even more. And the community just feel like cops aren't doing anything. And that that's a long-term impact of this story. Yeah. And like any government service, People need to have trust in police and the police need to show that they're worthy of that trust by doing a job and doing it really well. And, you know, they deserve the highest praise when they're able to meet those marks. Uh, but in a moment like this, I think we need to be willing to really open the door, shine a light on the black box and see how is law enforcement structured? How are people doing their jobs? You know, if this were the private sector, you bring in some outside management consultants and say, all right, well, why don't you have the manpower to do your job? And sometimes I feel like the police, fire departments, these jobs where you have this sort of great moral calling to it, they're reluctant to get outsiders in there. But hopefully this will just blow stuff open and get people aiming a skeptical eye to make sure police are able to do their jobs the best way possible. Perfectly said, right? Like, let's get a solution from this. Let's figure this out and let's not have this happen again because that is heartbreaking. All right, my biggest story of the week, research from the National Centers of Environmental Information found that the U.S. has experienced 376 climate and weather-related disasters since 1980 that cost at least $1 billion apiece, okay? So 376 nationwide. Do you guys want to guess how many were in Texas? Because it was 170. We lost more than 7,000 people and up to $401 billion in damages here in Texas alone. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the NCEI ranked Harris County as having the highest weather and climate hazard risk after considering its physical exposure to natural disasters. Um, of course, with the vulnerability and resiliency of the population and infrastructure, including homes, vehicles, and crops. And here's a crazy stat to take away as well. Since 2013, all right, this isn't that long ago, Texas has averaged a billion-dollar disaster every 44 days. This is a big uptick from the 80s when the state averaged a billion-dollar disaster every 268 days. That is wild to me that it is that routine that we're having these kind of damages and these kind of weather-related events in Texas. I mean, we were just talking about a giant fire in North Texas. Like, clearly, we're dealing with this stuff all the time. And it's one of the things that drives me nuts about this is that people and political leaders are not focusing on these real dangers, on these real threats. You know, it's not a convenient political scapegoat. And so we kind of write it off. I kind of wish we could, like, really get mad at floods. We get really mad at wildfires. Uh, and blame them. But it's hard to blame acts of nature. But that's the real threat to quality of life in Texas sometimes. And it, and it goes from hurricanes to fires to uh, snow and ice. And I mean, it's like we have everything. It's one of those things where like, you know, you don't like the weather in Texas, wait, you know, a couple of minutes. And it sucks that we should be more prepared for things like this and not get it to the billion dollar mark. Unfortunately, you know, Houston, uh, Texas is a big state. 
it's a lot of people here and uh the loss of property loss of life is is uh, one of those things that we have to deal with unfortunately fema is calling uh parts of the state disaster resilience zones that doesn't make me feel any better. No. And by the way, I've linked that story from the Houston Chronicle. That's where I cited it from. And there's a map on there that you can put your address in and you'll see like exactly where you are in that zone of like, hey, this could be pretty bad or this could be pretty good. But most of our area, spoiler alert, it's in that like high risk area. So you can check it out. The link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right, Marco, let's get to your most overlooked story. What do you got? Well, April 8th, 2024, a total solar eclipse is happening. Parts of the state are going to get four minutes of totality, which means absolute darkness uh, during, the, during the day, which is something that hasn't happened in a long time. We have had a couple of other eclipses in the last couple of years, but this is going to be a total eclipse. And uh, some Texas towns are sending out warnings to the residents to be ready stock up on goods, water, food, gas, basically like a natural disaster like we were just <laughs> talking because you're going to get more than a million people coming into Texas as eclipse tourists. Wow. Totality is going to happen right through the uh, Texas Hill Country and it's going to go um, south to north at an, at an angle. Yeah. So the, the freeways and the highways are going to be congested. Gas stations are going to be... I mean, you're basically talking about like almost like evacuation uh, time when, with hurricanes. So um, people up in Llano, Texas, which is in the hill country, have given out warnings and other, other areas in that, in that uh, hill country have basically told residents, hey, maybe don't send your kids to school. Oh my you know, make gosh. sure you have enough gas. Make sure you have enough food and water because there's going to be an influx of people. And, and going anywhere and doing anything during that time is going to be kind of crazy. I was driving to Dallas last week and there were small cities advertising the fact that they are in that total eclipse path, right? And they're saying like, book your hotels now. Like, yeah. hey, think of us. This is going to be a big tourism boom. I, I saw one Best Western in the hill country near Waco, $800. $800 for a Best Western because of the eclipse. Man. This is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Oh, yeah. Day will turn tonight. I mean, last year we had an eclipse here in Houston, and it got a little dark, and it got a little chilly. It got a little spooky. Ooh, it's pretty neat. This isn't that. This is going yeah. to be total darkness as the sun is entirely blocked out, like it is midnight in the middle of the day. That's going to be wild. I know our producer, Lizzie, who's been helping us, she's going to be taking a trip here as well for the total eclipse. So people are planning and people are excited for this, for this total eclipse of the heart. I can't wait. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I'm going to be one of those tourists that are going to be in that area. So watch out. Evan, let's get to your most overlooked story. What do you got? My most overlooked story is that Houston-based Intuitive Machines landed a probe on the moon. It is the first commercial soft landing 
on the moon. Now, it wasn't 100% perfect. It ended up tilted over a little bit because some broken landing gear, some of the lasers didn't work. And because it's not getting full exposure to the sun on its solar panels, they have to shut it down a little early. But they're going to see if they can bring it back once the sun returns to get the end to the lunar night. And they were able to send about 350 megabytes in research and photos. But the overlooked part of this story, I think, is what it says about Houston as space city. You know, the end of the shuttle program, the ticking timeline of the International Space Station, which is supposed to be deorbited in 2031. None of these things are good news for the Johnson Space Center. You know, that's why it exists. And if these projects aren't out there, what does that mean for us? This shows that Houston can still be Space City even without those NASA programs operating the level they once did. The commercial sector is filling in. Now, I remember years ago hearing Rice Professor Douglas Brinkley give a speech where he asked, how will people thousands of years from now talk about our time? He said that they'll refer to us as the age of Armstrong. This is the age when humanity first left the cradle of Earth. And my kind of hope is that they'll ask, where, where was the center of humanity during that time? In the age of Rome, and the age of London, maybe they'll say, this was the age of Houston. So that's the story I want told about us. Yeah, as we get more commercialized space companies and programs out there, that's really going to create this new hub of innovation and business for us. Like we're already seeing it, as you mentioned, right? But there's tons of companies now that are right there working hand in hand with NASA. Mm -hmm. You go down to the Ellington uh, Airport or Spaceport now, and you have all these private entities that are doing this work for probes for robots for human travel into space it really is fascinating stuff we even talked about it on tuesday that you can now apply to live on a 3d printed mars because nasa wants to do research of like what's it like living on mars because we're gonna send somebody to mars here pretty soon right in our lifetime hopefully so that's happening as well and i don't know marco i think you should apply <laughs> <laughs> i mean hey they gave me some incentives. I'll go out there and make some tacos. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the first Mexican restaurant in 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 the Mars. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah. All right, my most overlooked story of the week, and this is a really sad one because Fox 26, they suddenly lost one of their producers, Maggie McKeithen. And while Maggie worked behind the scenes on some of your favorite shows, like in the morning, their morning newscast, the Isaiah Carey Uncensored show, she was a fierce supporter of both the Dynamo and Dash soccer teams and was always doing really fun stories while showcasing her personality. And she was in her 30s. And I know any loss of life is sad and tragic, but to see a young producer just suddenly go is a stark reminder that, look, we're only here for a bit. Life can be taken away at any time. So live it to the fullest. Make that impact that you can. And it was just heartbreaking to hear. And she was such a fun person and so grounded, but so good at her job. You know, a lot of people think that, oh, look, she's a fun person. And she only does fun stories, but she was good at her job. So uh, rest in peace, Maggie. And and we're just thinking about the Fox 26 family on suddenly losing such a talented producer. Yeah, I I um I didn't know her personally, but she did help a lot of my friends uh, to showcase their brands on Fox 26 or their business or have them on, you know, Isaiah Carey or, or some of the other shows that she helped out. Um, I saw people all across Houston media um, posting tributes to her uh, that goes to show how how much she impacted everybody that she met. So um, rest in peace to her and her and uh, peace to her family as well.
All right, let's get to our moment of joy. Marco, what do you got? Man, I really want to say that uh, the Houston Public Library is celebrating uh, this March their 120th birthday. Um, it's going to start at the Houston Library downtown, and it's going to um, have celebrations all over the Houston area. And this just makes me so happy because when I was a teenager, uh, my mother would take me maybe once or twice a month to the Houston Public Library downtown. And it was like a it was like our uh, Disney World. You know, we didn't have money to go to Disney, but I would go to uh, Houston Public Library and people don't know this. You could check out um, CDs from the library. I used to listen to everything from Carlos Santana to classical CDs to even rap and hip hop. I didn't have money to buy them. So I'd go to the library, check them out, take them home, listen to them, tape some of them, make uh, burn CDs out of them. <laughs> and it really it really uh, helped me with my journalistic career. I know so much about music and the world because of the Houston Public Library. So it's really amazing that they're, they're going to celebrate their 120th birthday. So um, shout out to them. Yeah, we did an episode last year with them about what can you check out with your library card. And now <laughs> you can get baking ware. You can get all sorts of cool stuff. I'm going to link that in our show notes. So definitely listen to that. Happy birthday to them. 120 years. Now, I know last year Houston Landing did a story on them. Things yeah. are a little toxic <laughs> there in the, the work culture. So hopefully they clean that up as well as they enter this milestone year. Definitely. Evan, how about you? What is your moment of joy? My moment of joy was that it was Yimby Town in Austin this week. And I went up for a day to hear all sorts of urbanists and experts and elected officials talking about what cities are doing to make housing more affordable or at least less expensive. You even had the governor of Montana talking about it. This isn't just a San Francisco, New York City issue anymore. But what brought me joy was hearing people talk about Houston as a model, as a place that's really started to figure this out. We've never had zoning. We never had parking minimums downtown. And we got rid of them in Edo and Midtown. And we had these lot minimums that were shrunk so we could build townhouses. We've really done a good job of making it easier to build homes so that supply meets demand. And I even had an op-ed in the Chronicle this week talking about it. So that just brought me so much joy. That is awesome. Good, good stuff right there. Okay, my moment of joy, Saturday, I'm going to be competing in the Rodeo Celebrity Goat Milking Competition. I'm back. I competed in it in 2008. <laughs> and I think I finished in the top three. I've been training. I've been practicing. I'm warming up my hands. That's the one tip they tell you. Like the, the goats like warm hands. I'm like Michael Jordan before a big game, you know, blowing hot air into my hands, getting ready. I can't wait to go out there. I can't wait to see everybody. But more importantly, I'm going to bring that. I'm going to bring that first place trophy home. Okay. It's mine. And uh, I'm really hoping I get a loaded goat. And what that means is somebody that a goat that has a lot of milk, okay? Because you need that. <laughs> if they don't have the supply, it doesn't matter. So I'm pumped for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Damn, that sounds so exciting. I, I, I've been invited a couple of times, but I can never make it. But um, I've, I've had other friends participate in it, and it, they say it's it's wild. Yeah, it is crazy. It's like 20 people competing, yeah. and it's just all lined up, and people are watching. And I was like, yeah, I was like, man, Saturday going to the rodeo, it's going to be hectic. But my oldest daughter's at that age now where she can appreciate her dad doing funny, cool things like this. So I'm doing it for her because I want to take her so she can see dad competing in a goat milking competition because how many dads get to do that, right? Yeah. 
Evan, Marco, that was a blast. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. You know, we're always here for you, man. See you all next time. That was Evan Mintz and Marco Torres. All the stories we discuss are linked in our show notes. Now it's time for our final Tacovas tip of the day. We've had a blast this week sharing our Tacovas tips to enjoying the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, but I've got one more nugget of wisdom for you. Did you know your concert ticket gives you access to a ton of different events and activities inside NRG Center before the show? So arrive early because there are livestock shows and dozens of vendors with great rodeo merch inside NRG Center. And it's one of my favorite parts of the rodeo because they even have a free petting zoo for my kids. And don't shy away from getting in your seats early for your concert because before the concert, there's actual rodeo events happening. From barrel racing to team roping, you'll see some of the world's best cowboys and cowgirls competing against each other for prize money. And I have to mention the kids' mutton busting, where if you don't know, it's basically five and six-year-olds trying to ride sheep without falling off. It's so hilarious, and it's a blast to watch. That's a wrap on Rodeo Week for us here at CityCast Houston. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, and we can't wait to see you take in all the action this year at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. And by the way, thank you again to our friends at Tacovas for being our sponsor this week. Don't forget to stop by the Rice Village or City Center locations today to get ready for the rodeo. And remember, don't go gently. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our producers are Carleon Jones, Lizzie Goldsmith, A.K. Al Momin, and Joyce Tang. Our newsletter editor is Brooke Lewis, and the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with a look at what really is happening inside the housing development some are calling a political ploy. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new. I'm going to pick that up real quick just because my voice started going. So yeah, yeah. here we go. Three, two, one. Yeah, I don't think people. Ooh, it's still, let me go get water real quick, guys. <laughs> <All> <laughs> it's right. just like leaving me. <laughs>